Well, thank you, worship team, high school worship team, and leading us this morning. Take your Bibles as we again go to uh, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 6 through 15, almost to the end here, page 959 again. Every once in a while, you might still see that old bumper sticker, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. And like the uh, dutiful seven dwarfs, most people spend most of their adult life uh, working for a living uh, and uh, paying their way. In this passage, Paul is going to confront some in that early church who were not. And he tells them, get back to work and earn a living. So the question is, how is our work ethic? The most direct application of this, of course, is uh, that we would work hard, that we would not try to avoid working hard and, and, or try to get other people to, to pay our way uh, through life. Obviously, what we talk about in this passage does not apply to those who are uh, disabled or legitimately unable uh, to work. In fact, or, or have some exceptional financial need because clearly the scripture uh, urges us to help those and pay and, and give to those generously who are in need. Nor does this elevate paid work over the unpaid hard work of uh, many moms and homemakers and family caregivers and uh, retirees who are faithfully uh, serving uh, with their gifts and, and ability and time. But this is God's word calling us to a higher principle than even the seven dwarfs, uh, the principle that we are here to honor Christ through our work, because everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual in, our, in a believer's life, and so what we do for most of the week, obviously, has to be honoring to Christ. It's more than just you know, paying what we owe on our mortgage or, or trying to meet the rising costs at, at, at Pick and Save and, and Costco. This is a, a God thing. Um, some in Thessalonica were, were not getting that message. Uh, in verse 1, or actually verse 4 last week, we saw that overall the, um, the church was complimented by Paul. He, he, is, he is more uh, affirming to this church than really any that we know of, that you guys are, are spiritually mature and growing. And, and he makes that clear that he said, I'm not talking to all of you, but there was evidently a, a fringe group of Christians who were, quite frankly, lazy. Verse 6. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anybody's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. So it's pretty clear what he's saying is that there are some who wouldn't work and that some Christians should avoid those who don't work. First of all, in the name of the Lord Jesus, so Paul as the apostle can speak with authority, this is Jesus telling you about a work ethic and he's commanding brothers about other brothers. 
So this is an entirely Christian context. This is, this is believers in Christ. Paul does not question the salvation of any of these involved. In fact, he assumes they are fellow believers. So he tells those who were faithful to keep away in some way. I think the simplest terminology or understanding would be that don't be part of that movement. Uh, hopefully it was a small segment of the church. But what was, really, what was really going on? Because we don't have really a full um, backstory, we're, we're guessing a little bit. Most people assume and agree that in light of all that Paul has written both in the first and second letter to these Christians, uh, the Thessalonians, um, there were some who were excusing laziness probably because they believed Jesus was coming back soon, so why work? If you recall in chapter 4, uh, or rather 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul made this description of the rapture. How exciting. Jesus Christ is coming back. We're going to be rising up to meet him. Uh, and it's imminent. It could be at any time. Chapter 5, verse 2 in that letter, he said, the day of the Lord is, is come, going to come like a thief in the night. It's like it could be here any time. Uh, be alert. And so evidently, in the excitement, some had taken this to an extreme and dreadfully misapplied prophetic truth to mean kind of like, let's go to the mountain and watch and wait for Jesus to come back. Why bother with all this, you know, regular work on earth? And... Uh, so they were excusing their laziness, it seems. It's also possible that some of these who were kind of wrapped up in this prophetic extremism had, had kind of fancied themselves as wannabe apostles. Like, like they, would, they would take it like to the next level, and, and maybe they were even expecting that they should be supported. Because after all, we're, we're as much apostles as, as, as Paul and uh, so it's amazing how pride can take over in some of these kinds of things. So these kind of things could be behind that. And so Paul spends several paragraphs to refute their ideas and say, don't give them money, basically. Don't give them anything. Chapter 2, verse 2 of this one, uh, it's clear there was a group that said, the day of the Lord has already come misapplying what Paul said, so he had to correct it. But kind of, the sky is falling, so, so why work? So he says, uh, withdraw, keep away, avoid. Don't hang around those with these bad ideas. Don't, have, don't, don't, don't make your, your closest friends those who are kind of going off the rails with some remotely biblical idea that now they have added all these layers of their own opinions of extremism and and so you know were they having were they having little meetings you know in their homes promoting these ideas were they were they kind of trying to recruit people to their 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 kind of thought what i'm guessing is that these people had never really been employee of the month type prospects anyhow okay that they would have been the ones more known for leaning on their shovel than, than using it. You've probably worked around people who, who always seem to find an excuse for why they're not getting much done. The core issue, the key term that he uses several times in this passage is this word, I have it as idle, or you may have it as disruptive, or disorderly, or walking in idleness. It's an interesting term that uh, actually came from the military world of the first century. 
It means of a soldier who is out of, out of rank or out, out of line. Because, you know, you're supposed to be marching in a line, but then there's always Gomer Pyle. <laughs> For those of you who, who remember black and white TV and Sergeant Carter's always trying to get him back in the line, you know. And, and there's always that, that one who is the exception somehow. And these people saw themselves as, as they're that. Probably the key word is undisciplined. Because this term, it was really more than just about work, but here it's applied specifically to the working hard and faithfully issue. But it's basically, they're undisciplined people. The other Greek documents that use this term eventually to say, these are those who don't show up for work. And, and we understand maybe in our work world where that has happened. So the second line of verse uh, 6 says, and do not live according to the teaching you received from us. So they were not receptive. They, they, you can't help people who won't listen. And so this seemed to characterize them. They had a lack of personal discipline. You couldn't tell them anything. And so they weren't getting out of bed in the morning and they weren't productive. And a godly life is a disciplined life in, in many areas, and, and so we all might have our strengths or our weaknesses. And so as a broad term, I think we need to maybe sometimes in our mind just go, okay, where, where Lord, do you have me? Where should I be more disciplined? Uh, working hard is one. Uh, how you spend the money you earn is one. And how you use the time when you aren't working is one. How much time are we in, in useless things? And do we have the discipline to spend time with the Lord, time to serve using our spiritual gifts to, to promote the gospel, disciplined in, in personal uh, health or whatever it might be. There's, so laziness was this issue and of undisciplined living. And, and so Paul gives an example of himself in verse 7. You yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so we would not be a burden to any of you. Is there any proof that he really practiced what he preached? In fact, there was. This is about when he was in the city of Thessalonica. We have an example of him doing exactly this when he was in Corinth. And so we even know what kind of work he did. When he came to Corinth, this is, that's the context, when, because he, Paul, was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And he's referring to this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, that he met a Jewish couple there in, in Corinth. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks, spiritually, of course, the gospel. When Silas and Timothy, his partners, came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, teaching to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So we realize that Paul had a, a regular skilled trade working with his hands that he used to support himself when necessary. He was a tent maker. The term can mean leather worker, but it probably was tents. Um, the, 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 the hometown of Paul was Tarsus, as some of you might know, and, and Tarsus in that region was actually known uh, for the goats that the goat hair that made um, a lot of the raw materials for tent making. And so he evidently learned that trade. And so he was busy doing physical work 
or spiritual work, or actually both. He wasn't hung up on being an apostolic like professional that I have to be only doing spiritual work. And so, yet you realize that if you, um, sorry, if you are doing a lot of time with tents, that's less time preaching the gospel, right? And so it says there that when Silas and Timothy came, they, they, had been, they came somewhat later, they came from Macedonia, he could then go to full-time uh, working for the gospel. So what did Silas and Timothy do that changed things? Were they tent makers? Probably not. But we find in 2 Corinthians 11 and Philippians 4 that actually the Macedonians sent financial gifts through them. So what they did is they arrived with some money gifts so that Paul could go and do ministry full-time. In fact, probably all three of them could then, which might help account for why the Thessalonian church in just a matter of a few months achieved amazing spiritual progress teaching. And, and Paul had to move on out because of persecution, but a lot had been accomplished there. So, see, the amazing thing is that when a Christian works hard, God has a way of coming along and supplying what they need. And so when the time was right, <clears throat> Paul, uh, God, uh, God provided these gifts from the Macedonians, which is really Philippi. Uh, you've got stories like this, I'm sure. Whereas as you work faithfully and then there is a need or there, you need more time or something and, and God provides a, a, a special gift for you. Missionaries have those stories. Priscilla and I have some of those kind of stories of how God supplied in unique ways in our early years of ministry. But Paul is saying, I didn't wait around for people to support me. I just did what I, what I could. I didn't, I didn't hang out at the synagogue and kind of hint, it sure would be nice to go out to dinner where I know this nice place, um, nor do we eat anyone's food without paying for it. So, so when they went to the market, they paid for it just like, like everybody else. Don't raise your hands, but have you had that friend or relative who kind of always expects you to pick up the check? <laughs> or you know, know someone like... Now, there, there's times when, you know, it's understood, dad's going to pay or whatever it might be. But, but, but there's kind of this attitude Paul's addressing that some people just kind of like expecting others to take care of them. So, so he's calling us to, to be aware of those tendencies. And he says, look at our example. We worked night and day toiling so that we would not be a burden to you. On one hand, that was true. It was to not be a burden, but I think Paul even had a deeper reason. He did not want to be questioned for his motive because so many people did Christian work or did religious things for the money. He said, I don't want to be a distraction to the gospel because money and ministry are a strange mix. And you and I have probably all seen different news articles where the world will jump on any opportunity when, when there's a greed or corruption thing in a Christian leader or Christian organization or church and, and the, the, the obvious hypocrisy of that. And so what about when this money gift came from the Philippians, most likely, uh, and paid for their way? Could you see how it, instead of being a distraction, that could actually be an enhancement of the value of the gospel. Where, where are you, where's this money coming from? Well, we have friends up in Macedonia. That's 400 and some miles away. We have friends in Macedonia that are sending us money so that we can bring the gospel to you. Really? Is that that important? Oh, yeah. I hope that there's a, 
a time that there will be uh, people in, in Paraguay who ask Tim and Sis Keith when they get there and they get to that stage of their ministry. So you mean you're being paid by this church in Wisconsin, America? Yeah. Why would they do that? Because they care about you. And because they care about the gospel. And, and that's why we do it. So, so motive is, is so important, and that seems to be really uh, vital on his mind. And Paul, remember, had prayed verse 1 of this chapter that the gospel would spread rapidly. So, so he wants to make sure that his own work ethic and theirs does not distract from the gospel. Because if, if the church of Thessalonica becomes known for having a bunch of freeloaders... Can you see how that's going to affect the gospel witness? And so we want it to spread rapidly. And, and it's like, you know, Satan's always got something that's going to, you know, if, if you can watch a church implode, it's not going to be, the gospel is not going to expand. You can be sure of that. So verse 9, <clears throat> Paul, again, pointing to himself, said, We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you. Paul said, we had the right to support. That, that's a principle of uh, you know, workers worthy of his wages. And, and uh, Paul makes the point of, of, of elders being paid and so forth. But he says, we had the right. <clears throat> In the First Corinthians, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Oh, that's the reason. We don't want to hinder the gospel. And so that's why, as we read in Acts, that's why he said, I, I worked with tents so that you wouldn't have to, 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 to support me so that there'd be just a, a clarity of this message is what I'm about. Because unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. Paul wanted to make sure. He modeled the opposite of laziness, the opposite of greed. And while some were, some of these fringe people were not involved really in legitimate ministry, but probably wanting support, he was involved in legitimate ministry and wouldn't take their support at that point. And now Paul kind of laying the groundwork of his own example, so you realize you know, he, he wasn't, he was accountable uh, himself and responsible. So then he says, verse 10, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. That's not completely politically correct, but that's what he's saying, that the church should not help these people financially. Draw the line. Uh, laziness is a sin. And they're resisting God's word, and there are consequences. And the consequence, they shall not eat. Hunger. Proverbs 16.26. 16.26. The appetite of laborers works for them. Their hunger drives them on. Wise Solomon. Your appetite is, is an advantage because when you have need, that motivates you. So he's saying the person who is able to do some kind of work but does not, his hunger should drive him to do what he can. Uh, this could be called tough love in, in, this, in the case of the church. Uh, 
As parents of adults, probably you've maybe had some tough love conversations because adulting, adulting is hard, right? But uh, at some point, the, the need of rent or car or insurance or gas drives you on. I was recently uh, chatting with a uh, local um, retail business owner and just visiting about, you know, are you finding employees? Because, you know, you hear that it's hard to find employees. He says, well, it's hard to find good ones. And then he made this comment, just interesting. He says, the teens with the best work ethic tend to come from homes with less money. The best work ethic comes from homes with less money. So if you're struggling with less money, parents, there's a, there's a silver lining to that. If you're not an option, and, and, and these kids are learning to work better that way. And so obviously, the earlier you learn these things, the better uh, young children to contribute, pick up, or chores, or having the patience to, to work with them, and they can learn just some basic life skills and responsibility. And, and, and when they're able to uh, urge them to have a part-time job to pay for some of those things. And then uh, even how do, you, how do you use the money? Someone had shared with us when our kids were very young, and so we started doing this where three jars or three envelopes that when they got money either earned or, 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 or from grandma or whatever, you have th- three, three categories, give, save, and spend. And they have to put some, a certain percentage in, in the envelope, give, save, and spend. So in other words, money is not just go, go out there and, and spend. So all these things of, of a disciplined life are learned so much better younger, right? And it seems that some were now going through the hard steps of learning it the hard way later as an adult. So in verse 11, uh, we find that those who were in this category of laziness not only expected others to support them, but when they didn't work, they were actually busy creating problems for others. Isn't that kind of how things work? Verse 11, we hear that some among you are idle. Here's that word again, undisciplined, not working. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. And that's actually a pretty good uh, uh, translation of that. So we hear, so way in Corinth... Paul was getting reports from 400 miles to the north. Someone had showed up and says, you know what's going on there in Thessalonica? There's this, there's this fringe group who won't work. And instead of, since they were not busy doing what they should be doing, they were busy doing the things they should not be doing. Uh, ask any teacher managing a classroom or, or whatever, that if, if students aren't busy doing the right thing, then they're maybe doing some wrong things. Uh, not busy, but busy bodies. There's actually um, two, two interesting Greek terms here. Uh, th- there's a term for work busy. That's the first term. They're not, uh, there's a work busy word, two, two parts of one word. And then the next one, the busy body word, is, is work busy with a little preposition that means around. So there's the work busy, draw a circle. This is all the things that you should be doing in the circle. And then there's everything outside the circle. <laughs> they were doing everything outside the circle. They were doing all the not work stuff. And uh, you've probably seen it where people are actually employed but not productive. Doing more unnecessary but easier things maybe. They tend to be the ones who are also gossiping and meddling. 
talking about things and, and gossip creates rumors and rumors creates conflict and conflict stifles collaboration and lack of collaboration, lack of productivity and if you've been a boss for long you, you, you know how these interpersonal things can start so uh, I think Paul is concerned that this is happening at the church and the spiritual productivity was being threatened. Because, verse 1 of this chapter, we are about the gospel. The purpose of the church is the gospel and to spread the gospel rapidly. And so if, if, if you don't deal with the reputation that some in the church are giving the church, then the productivity of the church accomplishing its purpose, its mission of sharing the gospel of Christ, that's going to be affected. And so, and so some of these Christians who are not busy at work, they have extra time, and they're, they're, they're on the phone gossiping. I know they didn't have phones, but they're, they're in the public square, they're in the houses, they're, they're, they're talking about people and actually creating division and conflict because they're busybodies. Useless, divisive things. Such people, verse 12, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. They just need to get busy doing work so they don't have so much time to spread rumors. Um, interestingly, Paul is, Paul used, in some places he named names. Remember Philippians, Yodia and Syntyche, these ladies that were in conflict or what? But he doesn't, he doesn't name their names. But he said, I urge them in the Lord Jesus. And, and even that's a bit more gracious because he could have used what he started in verse 6. He could have said, I command them in the name of the Lord. That's, a, that's kind of a top-down authority. Instead, this was kind of like, I urge you. We're all, we're all part of the body of Christ. And so please, guys, you've got to urge them as part of the body to, to overcome this lazy behavior. Settle down. Earn your bread. Could they get a job in the marketplace, uh, town squares of cities? There was like always a, a workforce possibility. I suppose there could have been exceptions in times of war or something. But, but, but those who were masters or owners that needed extra help, you should go to the city square, and, and that's where you could find day laborers. Jesus even told parables about you know the ones that they'd go and they'd hire them for an hour or, or for a while, and so so go. Get, do something. Stop making excuses. Because he's really saying, when he says, in the Lord Jesus, because your work is spiritual, because you are part of the body of Christ, what you do in your daily life is reflecting your relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, our work is step one of our witness. First Thessalonians. So this has been an issue, obviously, because we find some of the best passages in, in uh, these two letters. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, that's unbelievers, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. You see those two reasons? We understand the, uh, so you wouldn't be dependent on others financially, but what, what's that first one? So that so that you would win the respect of the unbeliever. 
The gospel is ultimately at stake because, because your work becomes a spiritual uh, uh, opportunity. If you can imagine trying to share the gospel maybe where you work, and if, as you talk about Christ, if that other person is thinking, that's fine that you love Jesus, but where are you when I need some help? You go, you see what that does to the witness, or, or you're trying to invite your neighbor to, to some church event because you care about their, spiritually, maybe they'd be interested in this, and, and what's going through their mind is, what if you didn't go to church so much and painted your garage and fixed your fence? Do you see how those kind of things just start to impact your witness? And so it says, settle down. Let your daily life be known so that you're not dependent. Does that... As you hear all this, does does this mean that a Christian can ever ask for financial help? No, it doesn't say that. Uh, We we should be able to ask for prayer for for financial needs. We should be able to ask for uh, financial help when it's legitimate. That's part of what what the scriptures are saying when it says, help those who are in need. It says, uh, do good to all men, but especially those who are of the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. So the Bible says plenty about that, and and that's what what our deacons fund is is about, and uh, named after the early church who saw these, the need of these widows who needed, needed to eat, and so they, they, they organized and got some people around to, to focus on that ministry of these widows and, and the need that they had. And I know many of you designate gifts to that. We've been able to bless and encourage people many, many times with more uh, occasional one-time type gifts. It's not designed to, to create a, a salary stream uh, for anyone. But um, part of that ministry is, is, is for the guys to... Um, Think through a process and some limits and sometimes have conversations. So, so, so Paul is not negating the need to share financially with those uh, when, there's, when there's special and unique needs. And in fact, that could be what he's pointed to in verse 13. After saying the, kind of these stern, clear words, command, urge them to settle down and earn the bread to eat. And as for you, brothers, now he's addressing the core faithful part of the church, never tire of doing what's right. He doesn't say what that is, but I wonder if, A, if you have a good work ethic, keep it up, (laughs) or could he be referring to, B, you keep doing the the deacon's ministry. Keep keep helping those who are legitimately in need. He said, kind of like his way of saying, don't don't take take this wrong that you shouldn't help anybody, but you must confront those who will not work, verse 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Wow. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. It's interesting, in verse 14, he he actually uses the singular, uh, don't associate with him. Is there a ringleader that, that everybody knows who this is? Is there a ringleader that kind of is, is pushing uh, these ideas? Don't associate with him. Now, is this church discipline? Is on our mind, maybe. Because, uh, I don't know, maybe a year ago or so when we were in 1 Corinthians 5, we saw there was a case of, uh, of official church discipline. 
this man who had this ongoing sexually immoral relationship. Uh, it was affecting the testimony of the church. And so uh, the church had actually kind of taken pride in how tolerant they were. And Paul says, what are you thinking? Because this is affecting you in the community. So uh, you need to take action and actually remove him from, his fe- from the fellowship uh, because uh, you should not associate with You shouldn't even eat with them. And somehow this seems to fall short of official church discipline when he says, don't regard him as an enemy, warn him as a brother. So that, that he, he's not forbidden to come to church, but somehow you need to confront him personally. So if he was a ring leader, he's the one that, you know, having people over at his house, he's the one trying to recruit people to his idea, uh, stop work, wait for Jesus to come back, then uh, you've got to address him on that. And in fact, um, there's got to be a personal confrontation. Maybe it's, maybe it's in a church meeting, I don't know, because I'm sure that this letter when it arrived was read. And so just picture if Paul wrote that letter, then then he reads it, and he, didn't have to, he doesn't have to name names because everybody would know who this is. Paul takes work, regular work, seriously. And he doesn't elevate his work as an apostle over the work of uh, you know, John and Jane Doe in Thessalonica. I think I've mentioned before, a classmate of mine in seminary, Doug Sherman, wrote a book, Your Work Matters to God. And he does a great job of explaining that all work honors Christ. Sometimes we have a kind of a two-tier approach to work, like it sounds more spiritual in a church setting to say that, you know, the pastors, missionaries, evangelists, they like, they're doing the main work, you know, with it, but then there's all of us, you know, the other people there, that's, that, that's not important, as if, the, as if God is like, you know, you've got the, you've got the, uh, the medal, the medal winners, that's, that's, that's the preachers and, and missionaries, and then you, then you have the, 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 the participant ribbons for everybody else. Paul is, 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 is refuting that. Because, you see, Paul was honoring Christ just as much when he was making careful stitches and charging the right amount for his tent repairs. He was honoring Christ then just as much as when he was presenting the gospel. God is wanting to keep this world going for all of his purposes, and so someone has to design, uh, manufacture, uh, sell, and repair cars and computers and clothes. Someone's got to make cheese. Someone's got to work at Quick Trip so that we can travel and, and get gas and have a bathroom break. And you, I don't know what you're in. If you're in, if you're in construction, if you're in um, advertising or sales or technology or healthcare or or education, or public office, or whatever it is, if you're not doing something that is anti-biblical, but it's productive, in other words, you're not producing pornography, or cocaine, or, or whatever, your work can honor Christ. And so he elevates the daily work that we do. Do we have a biblical work ethic? Um, I'd like to just think through a, a couple of of basic principles. Uh, these, some of these verses are on a handout. There's a much more complete handout at the back, kind of a biblical study of, of work. Feel free to pick up a copy. But here's a couple things to think through. 
Work is God's design. Genesis 2.2, do you realize God's a worker? He called it that. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So his creation was work. God, God is not lazy. God is at work. He's at work in all of us, right? He's working all the time. That was, you could say, physical work that he was doing in creating, designing everything. And then he gave Adam the instructions to work, and this is before sin. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So they were, they were busy doing work, somehow caring for a garden in the best sense. But then what happened? Then came sin, and work got more difficult to be sure. The curse. So after the sin, God said, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. So sin is why, uh, why you have a hard time hiring the people you need and why orders don't arrive and why there's computer glitches and, and all that stuff, right? So work became difficult. Does that mean that, that now work should be like a... That's, that's the curse. That's the dwarfs. That's the, I, oh, I, oh, I've got to do this hard work. A couple of years ago, we were studying in Ecclesiastes, and we saw that God's plan is to redeem work as a source of joy and satisfaction, actually. A person can do no th- nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This, too, I see is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Ecclesiastes 3.13, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. So our, our jobs are our gift. Now, at the same time, you go to other passages in Ecclesiastes, and some of those are on that, that handout, but Paul, uh, Solomon's talking about, I did all these things, I built all this stuff, and it was all what? Vanity and empty. Is that a contradiction? No, the difference is where your focus is. If you are trying to find satisfaction in the pride of the things you do, whether you're finding satisfaction in gratitude for what God enables you to do. Do you see there's just a, there's just a, a, a switch that you kind of have to flip spiritually to say, no, I am serving God for this. And that becomes the bottom line of how our work honors Christ is when we're doing it to serve Christ as the pas- one of the passages that that Nate read earlier, working for your true boss. Ephesians 6, serve them, that's a master-slave context, wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they're slave or free, no matter where you are in the corporate ladder, doesn't matter, you're serving Christ. He has that same uniform message this is like a couple of decades after, after writing to the Thessalonians, but he says to the Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Put, put, put everything into it. As working for the Lord, that's why, not men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It makes all the difference in the world who you're working for. You, we've all known that, that, that your boss creates an environment, Right? Well, what if you don't have a great boss? Default. You have a great boss. And so you can be working for the Lord and honor Christ by what you do 
by, by the quality of your work. When we struggle with the work, of course, okay, so sin is an issue. Sometimes we think that the whole key will be the right job, and indeed a right job that fits helps. It, it, it would all be okay if I earn more money, and indeed more money becomes more fair, which brings uh, greater maybe satisfaction and contentment. But ultimately the answer will be, who are we serving? Are we here to serve Christ? So it's not just because we owe, we owe, but because we've been assigned a certain way to honor Christ in our daily life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the practical uh, nature of your word that while on one hand there are, are such practical things to know that we are called eternally and we are uh, saved uh, by, by what you did for us on the cross, we, we know that these things transform who we are. But Lord, I pray it transforms what we do. And I pray that there will just be an ongoing impact uh, for, for all of us that whatever stage of life we're in, that we would, whatever our, our measure of ability, whatever our measure of health is, that Lord, you'd help us to find those faithful places for how we serve you and, and your purposes for us being here uh, during this time, that we would indeed uh, be, while receiving the gift of salvation without works, be engaged in the work that you've given us and designed for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.